the black rocks and revolution. Samurai punk feminist solution. White noise, your audio pollution. This is not a test. Calling all your slaves to the ground. Coming out your grace for the mind. Had eyes, but still you are blind. This is not a test. All right, it's Brad here. You over there. Started working with Ross in 87, 88. It's always back then when I met him, I'm um, working with him. He was quite brilliant at many technical and music things. And as you get into his life story about music and technology, it looks like Ross was really early on in technology. He would read books, you know, in his grade school, he was connecting technology and later on brought music into the fold. It's an interesting story with him in that he went back later in his life to be diagnosed with, uh, I guess he's slightly on the autistic spectrum, but having, but having that is his ability to deep, dig deeper into music and lyrics and their connection. I think of what Ross is that is really admired, but he played in a reggae band for years. He, he talks about, I knew he was playing reggae when I met him, but he started apparently in the seventies. And, um, the thing about playing reggae bass, you really got to feel it. If you can't feel it, you kind of can't do the gig. And so Ross is this, this crossover music tech, tech geeky guy, but, but has, you know, a deep soul for music and relating to it. It's an incredible story. You don't want to miss one. We're going to get into it here. Here we go. Ross Whitney. All right. Here we go, Ross. Alan, this is uh, Ross Whitney. Can you hear me, Ross? Alan? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. You okay. got to make sure you control your mic. Right, because you're at the Dundas Square. Okay. Wow. All right. So, uh, so background. I started working with Ross, and I guess '87, '80 around Sherwood, and Ross is like irresponsible for the rental department, right? Yeah, and and I went out and did some live shows too. I had a house gig at Pop the Gator, and oh, right, that, Pop the Gator. Or that at Mayfair. Um, that was all, all with Glenn Smith and and the uh, well they used to call it Southern Ontario Blues Association but uh, then uh, he he sort of became an entrepreneur and uh, started doing shows at Mayfair and then and then rented the space uh, on Queen Street for Pop the Gator. Oh yeah, so that's how I would have gotten that's how I would have gotten the, some of those gigs is you get gathered some of them to me. Oh, probably. Yeah. I'm busy this night, Brad. Can you fill in? That's maybe how I got started. Because I did a, I did the Hoodoo Lounge and Pop the Gator. Yeah. And John John Gresham was the one who was doing it before uh, before I came in as the regular guy. Oh, right. Okay. I haven't uh, seen John in a long time. Last time I heard it was in Vancouver or on the BC. Oh, okay. That seems more like the lifestyle that he would probably uh, go to <laughs> from what I knew about him. Um, so let's go back to when, like, when did uh, when did music sort of start coming into your life? You know, like you were aware of it anyway. When do you think that was? Oh, gosh. I was trying to think what the first 45 or when I bought my first 45 RPM record. Yeah. And I didn't look it up, but it was uh, it was a Del Shannon record called Little Town Flirt. And I was probably in public school. So that was before that was before Beatlemania. 
but uh, you know, Beatlemania was huge for everybody of you know my my age, my generation. It's like when they when they first appeared on the Ed Sullivan show in 1964. It's like you know that uh, guitar sales just went through the roof. Um, I was still in public school then, but uh, I started high school in '65 and uh, went to high school in Listowel. Um, the same high school that Brian Vollmer went to from Helix. Oh, that's and, where Helix started. That's right. He was from Listowel. And, and same high school that Greg Deckert went to. You probably know Greg. I know Greg. Greg, uh, just so everybody knows, Brian Vollmer was well, still is the lead singer of Helix. And they had a huge amount of hits uh, in the er middle, early 80s nationwide. And Greg, he was like, uh, oh, he still is. He's a keyboardist, was a keyboardist for uh, David Gilmore, which is a guitar player for Pink Floyd and Bad Company. And Uriah Heep as well. He played for Uriah Heep. Because he, like, I did a show with him one night out in a, out in a field near Listable, and he had a tape, right? And it was a board tape of uh, a live show of uh, Bad Company. Okay. Like, that's how I got introduced to him. I was flipping channels one day, oh gosh, probably back in the 80s, um, on, on Roger's Cable. And uh, I just stumbled on a concert of uh, David Gilmore live at the Hammersmith Odeon yeah. and spot, spotted Greg on keyboards immediately. Freaked <laughs> me out. Hey, I went to high school with that guy. So you went to high school with both of them then? Well, no, Brian's, Brian's a bit younger than me, so uh, I don't think Brian and I were there at the same time. We had uh, we had the same music teacher, though. Uh, there, guy it, called, sorry, go ahead. I called Gerald Fagan, who uh, studied music at uh, University of Western Ontario. Yeah. And one of the guys that, that uh, Michael Fagan, or sorry, Jerry, Jerry Fagan, I'm, my mistake. Okay. Uh, one of one of the people that Jerry Fagan studied with, one of his classmates at uh, at uh, Western was Garth Hudson from the band. Are you and, serious? And, yeah, and and he told us about that in class one day, and that blew me away. And I and I'm you know I'm thinking to myself, rock musicians don't go to school to learn how to play music; they go on the road. Right. But for Garth, Garth Hudson, he did both because you know they they toured with Ronnie Hawkins and. And then toured with Bob Dylan, and then they were the band. Okay, so everybody knows Garth Hudson was the keyboardist. I think he was a writer. Also, I don't know if he sang or not. But he was a writer and keyboardist in the band, which is like, a, if you're new to this, they were like a crossover punk, folk. Uh, Bill, what's that? What's that stuff they did in Toronto with uh, the Hawk? Was it called? Hillbilly? No. What did they call it? Rockabilly? Oh, they did Rockabilly. They did a little, they did, they did swing, and they, 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 they put it all together. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, they were really early Americana, I think, you know, the, yeah. the kind of music that's called Americana these days. They were one of the first to, to be doing that. You know, who, you know, who, did you know the Rio Statics at all? Not really. Like no. I've heard them for sure, but uh, no, um, haven't really bumped into them. But uh, I've had some from from the Gator days. I've had contact with uh, some of the people in Downchild, especially uh, Gary Kendall. 
and um, from working at BlackBerry for several years, uh, made uh, made contact with uh, pretty well everybody in the Tragically Hip at one time or another. Because uh, <laughs> when Jim Bossley turned 40, yeah. he hired the Lyric Theater in downtown Kitchener and brought in the Hip to play and invited uh, all of the employees of uh, Research in Motion, BlackBerry, to uh, to his birthday party. And uh, the, the guys in the hip received uh, blackberries as well as, you know, being paid very well for the evening. And so I got to, uh, to do technical support for, for the people in the hip on a number of occasions and, you know, got, got uh, passes for shows and, and uh, got a bunch of swag. And that was pretty cool. They were, they were neat people. I really, I really miss Gord Downey. He was an amazing guy, He's, you know family man and uh i don't think he knew just what an icon he was he was very very humble guy very down to earth so you got to actually hang out with a the band then oh yeah on a few occasions yeah yeah so jim Baselli was uh the co-owner of ram which they uh they started a company called blackberry which became the first smartphone ever they were yeah. the inventors of the smartphone and it and it and it came out of the Waddle region. It didn't come out of Apple. <laughs> it actually came from Waddle region. But but they didn't take they didn't take the iPhone seriously, and I think that was their downfall. Right. But people call the iPhone the first smart. BlackBerry is doing that five years earlier. Right? Oh yeah. Well, uh, like I started there in December of two thousand, and the day I started, they handed me a BlackBerry. And, you know, in, at that time, it was, you know, a pager shape kind of thing and uh, no phone, no voice, just, uh, you know, email and, and a really basic web browser. I applied there in the January of 20, 2020, no, 2002 for the audio department. And, uh -huh. Or no, 2000, late 2001. And they were just starting put the phone on the system yeah that year they're going to release it with the phone phone app with the phone so they had like a chamber and all that stuff you know to get it right i oh yeah um, the chamber so uh so del shannon was that like oh okay so before we go back to your beginning the propagator <laughs> and the hoodoo were a uh Ground or not ground, but they were the basis of what we know of the Kitchener Blues Festival now. And yeah. um they had they were pure they were pure blues clubs. Like you I, I don't know. I worked with Buddy Guy. I, I lost count every times where Buddy Guy used to go there play every three months at one of those clubs. <laughs> with then. his hundred foot guitar cable. <laughs> yeah, what's that? With his hundred foot guitar cable. Oh, that's right, he walked he walked. I already I saw him in center of the square where I was doing the load and so I came early to see the show side stage and he was at the back balcony playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so that's that's uh, we've talked about the blues here on the podcast before. It's uh, it was early, early. Now that blues thing is big in a lot of different cities in uh, in Canada, but that started early in Kitchener. Started in the eighties, early eighties. Um. Okay, so what's okay? So you got your first forty-five, Del Shannon, right? <laughs> yeah. 
What Al, do you remember Del Shannon? Yes, I do remember Del Shannon. I also remember the Downchild Blues Band. I used to come down to Nathan Phillips Square and watch them and Lighthouse um, for free back in the early 70s. And, uh, and I got to meet uh, Downchild Blues Band. We played with them at a rib fest in 2006. And I and I backstage, they were just coming up. And I said, hey, man, you know, I, when I was like a teenager, I used to watch you guys. And the guy goes, get out of my way. He, he says it wasn't me <laughs> because they've changed so many members like since then. But anyway, it sort of broke my heart because I thought ah, I finally get to say hi to these guys coming off stage. But anyways, uh, I got everything I need almost, but I don't got you and you're the thing I need the most. I, I love those guys. Well, they were a big influence on the Blues Brothers. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we, they, uh, they use that song in the movie. They use uh, what's the what's the lead what's the writer of the band, the guitar player. Uh, oh, John Bellucci and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, Donnie Walsh. Donnie's a writer. He's sort of the Walsh. Oh, yeah. Don Don Walsh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Donnie Walsh. He's a writer. He's a print. He's a writer. Write all that stuff. But yeah, um, shotgun, shotgun blues. Yeah. So Del Shannon would have been like, would that be fifties music? Like, I don't know early what Del six, Shannon is. Early sixties, I think. Okay, so, um, so back when you're listening early music, uh, what what did technology come into mind at all back then, or did that come later? Not much later. Um, I remember my parents bought a little Philips open reel recorder, and I I don't think I ever figured out how to do a direct connection into it. So I was recording stuff off the radio using using the micro the Philips microphone that came with it. <laughs> yeah, so that was okay. That was okay as long as you know nobody made any noise in the house. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I grew up on a farm just outside of Milverton in the middle of Perth County. Yep. And so that's on the watershed, very high elevation. So, you know, on one side, the water drains down eventually to Lake Huron and the other side eventually yep. to Lake Erie. So mm -hmm. having that elevation and having a long, long copper wire antenna in the front yard, I can pick up radio from, you know, all over the place. I get I get uh, Toronto and Windsor, uh, CKLW and Chum and 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 the like. Um really well in the daytime and then at nighttime i get boston and chicago and new york city and and you get uh, boston oh heck yeah wbc that's pretty far um, away i thought you'd get yeah. something like i thought you'd get like ohio or or detroit or something um yeah the w yeah what was there might have been a cleveland station as well but yeah um fort wayne indiana and in chicago and new york and boston yeah yeah, and so you know, a lot of a lot of different music. I was really when I was a kid, I I thought you know, I'm I'm always going to be interested in the top forty. I'm always going to be interested in the hit parade. I I you know, I'm never. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So so um, I is we're, we're just doing background here. It's like you know, are you going to hit the record button at some point because I haven't been notified that we're recording. Oh yeah, I hit record from the beginning. Oh, did you? Okay. This is this is how we do the podcast. We just get into it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Usually, We're well I'm, into it already. I'm accustomed to seeing a red light. That's all. Oh, I, you know why? Me and Al have the free version, 
and I, I have to use OBS and I, I capture the screen and the the audio off my laptop. Wow, okay. The that's, free version uh, won't let you record. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty civilized. I, I haven't learned to use OBS yet. Some of the guys, uh, I, I'm, I'm on the executive committee with the Audio Engineering Society, Toronto section. Yep. And uh, some of some of the guys on in our executive committee are, are pretty good with OBS, but uh, I let them do it. I haven't really learned that one yet. I uh just so everybody knows, just so you know, uh, my production company in two thousand five did the first live stream of a meeting on a Tuesday night. VAS. Okay. We did it uh, at Genom Corporation, and we were they were presenting high definition early high definition projectors. Oh, wow. Okay. Stop it and file somewhere. I should bring it out. Yeah. I, I, I think it was after that when I joined, um, I, I went to Harris Institute. I, like I worked at Blackberry in, until July of 2011 and, uh, they laid off 2,500 people the same day. So I didn't really take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, tried to find a job and ended up going back to school. So I, I went, I studied at Harris Institute, uh, their audio production program, which uh, was just awesome. I really recommend that. Met so many amazing people. Uh, Doug McClement from from Livewire Recording, yep. who, uh, you know, he he did Live Eight. He did the SARS concert. Uh, he's 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 worked with everybody. Um, he's he's the main the main recording engineer at uh, at Elma Combo now. Yeah, Elma Combo. They did. Uh, what's his name? Dave invested a bunch of money into it, right? And bought the building. Yeah, and they they they, they put a state of the art studio in there. It's 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 off the hook. It's actually very underrated right now. Um, I I had the uh, the privilege of of playing upstairs at Elma Combo last November, and Doug recorded our show. And at the start of the evening, I handed him a solid state drive. And at the end of the evening, he handed me the Pro Tools session. So I brought that home and it was like 30 tracks, six audience mics. It was killer. So I brought that home and, and uh, mixed, picked out, you know, my 12 favorite songs and, and uh, mixed them at home. And uh, we've got this stuff up on YouTube now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. When I played there, uh, no, I did sound there. I wasn't playing there. We did the upstairs room back then, and it was long ways. It was really bizarre. The, the room was really narrow but long, but they put the stage yeah. on the on the on one side, and so the, the sight lines and the PA. It was really bizarre, man. You know, you'd be standing beside stage, stage left. You'd be, you know, it was crazy. I think I thought what they did at Elmo Combos, they took the floor out. Didn't that take the floor out and just make it one big room? They took all the floors out. So they've got they've got a music room downstairs. Um On the main floor of the basement. Ground floor level. Okay, basement's yeah. like basement's like a kitchen. It's it's a, a full on full on uh, restaurant kitchen. Then the main floor, there's a music room there. And then up a flight of stairs is where the main room is and the stage. Yes. And then up or flight of stairs. That's where the studio is, where the uh, video and the audio. And there's also a balcony up there, kind of a VIP section. Okay, so they did take the floor out. 
Oh, they took all the floors up. They, I they mean, they, re- they had to, they had to reinforce the reinforce the building base. They had to start over again. Oh, right. Yeah. Back, back, back in the day when the Stones played there, and I saw Graham Parker there, and and actually that's where our last gig was back in the day. But but I saw Graham Parker there, and I mean, Elvis Costello's got a live album from there. Uh, from, I mean, there's a lot of history up there. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, they, Michael, Michael weren't here. No, the, one of the dragons put a lot of money into it, took it Andy. over and really, huh? Well, he Michael grew up listening, Michael, he, he grew up listening to rock and roll in Toronto and he wanted to, yeah. he, he I took mean, it he over. Really, he really, really did a number and put it back together and, and put it off. I've read a little bit about the studio that was put in there and it, it is, it is, it is, uh, off the hook. Totally. Yeah, state of the art, like, you know, SSL console and uh, ATC monitors, uh, 5.1 set up in there, um, 4K cameras everywhere. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. So it's an analog console for live? No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, oh, well, I'm not, the, the live console's digital. Live consoles and digital, but in oh, okay. the recording in the recording room in the recording studio, it's an SSL. Right. So you, all you want for recording is you just want a good you want a good channel to record and, and archive it, right? Yeah. Well, so that's why you use SSL. They got a backup system too. It's uh, Pro Tools is the primary system for recording, but they've also got a couple of uh, Tascam uh, rack mount multi-track recorders just just for backup just in case anything goes sideways with the pro tools i i had three task games i i use them to death um nice okay so you're at your house and you've got this long piece of wire picking up all these stations right so how old were you when you figured out that wire long wire could attract information that's to me that's early thinking about technology well, I was fortunate, you know, um, my uh, my parents let me into uh, magazine subscriptions and stuff like that. So I used to get popular electronics magazine and and um, I remember that one in particular. And you probably know of uh, Craig Anderton. Um, any anyway, he's uh, he's he writes and uh, writes for industry publications. He's written a number of books, but he started off, I don't think he's much older than I am, but he started off writing for Popular Electronics and, you know, like, here's uh, here's the circuit diagram to build your own fuzz tone and, and uh, your own wah-wah pedal and that kind of stuff, right? So I was just eating that stuff up like crazy. Um, so, so pretty early on, I'd say. Okay, so here's a question, uh, Ross. I, I know that you're well read and I remember working with you at the shop and it was way above my thinking. But anyway, uh, you wanted to do, you wanted to put this wire out and, and this technology learn and the, for the sole reason is because you wanted to listen to different types of music. Correct? Yeah. And, and uh, just, you know, the, the, the fun of, the fun of listening to, radio stations not just music but listening to radio stations from from all around the world because i had you know uh oh, a ham operator no not not transmitting just receiving so uh i had shortwave receivers and you know listened to radio havana cuba and radio moscow and voice of america and and uh bbc and and uh just you know it kind of uh 
you know, it, it's being, being um, the oldest kid growing up on a farm, it's, it's you know, it's it's not like you can go next door and, and play with your neighbor's kids kind of thing, you know, you, you, you make your own fun and that, that was the kind of fun that I would make for myself. So when did music become more important then? Like in terms of when did it, you know, so you got this technology, you're gathering, well, honestly, you're gathering different types of music from around an area, right? That alone yeah. would be, that would be alone would be a learning experience musically. Um, but so what got you into playing? Like, I want to take, I want to take my technology and my music and stuff. I want to move it into playing and, you know, because now you're going to play in front of people. I think you're in the, you were the Billy Cal from High Energy, right? So. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was eighty one. I started off with that band um, in the nineteen sixties. Like I said, nineteen sixty five. I started high school, and uh, that involved riding a bus because I lived about twenty miles away from the school. So I met some some uh, some new friends on on the bus who lived, you know, in in the village near where my farm was. And, uh, you know, it turned out that uh, one of them could play keyboards and one of them could play bass and, and uh, one of them could play drums and, and, you know, a couple of girls were singers. And, and uh, so we just started fooling around in, in uh, you know, somebody's parents' garage, right? And um, played, uh, you know, played at the Legion and played, played in the high school gym and, and that kind of stuff and just doing doing covers, uh, doing, you know, the, the hit songs of the day. And, and, uh, so that would have been, you know, probably starting when I was, well, before I was old enough to drive. So maybe like 14, 15, because, uh, when I, when I was in high school, I took, um, uh, took music lessons, took guitar lessons. Um, before that I had had piano lessons for, for quite a few years, got up to, Royal Conservatory grade six piano and, and grade two theory. And um, then after high school, I, I sort of, you know, just didn't think about it too much, went to work. And um, in 73, wow, 50 years ago, <laughs> I, I went to work for Raytheon Canada in, in Waterloo. And uh, they're kind of a military industrial complex sort of a company, but the stuff that they were doing in Waterloo wasn't really military related. It was, they were doing airport surveillance radar. So I was working in a, in a metal shop. Um, I guess material handler was probably my job title. And uh, one of the guys that I worked with was uh, a, a Jamaican gentleman named Roy Francis. Now Roy. you probably you probably know Roy's son Errol. I know Errol. Yeah. Errol Star. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think I know Roy, Roy too. Okay. So um, Roy Roy said I've got these friends and they have a reggae band and and they're looking for a bass player. And I'd never played the bass before, but heck, it's only got four strings and I, it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the first band I played bass in was a reggae band, and and 
that's that's a pretty good way to learn the bass is uh, is it playing reggae because that really that really drives the music, you know. So I played with those guys and we were fortunate. We we got to not open but actually back up uh, Jamaican recording artists like uh, Toots and the Maytels and and Leroy Sibbles in the Heptones and yeah. uh, you know um, some other people. We did some some insane gigs. Like we played the uh, played the Masonic Temple on on Young Street in Toronto. Yeah. Um, played uh, a, a nice a nice hall, nice theater hall at uh, St. Lawrence Market in Toronto. Um, and uh, we we had kind of a regular gig at uh, a club on Bathurst Street, just south of Bloor, called the uh, the Caravana Club. Oh, Caravana. And, Man, that ran for years. I remember being there to go to dance one night, because I really, well, I remember now from working with you that you were already into reggae. Like, uh, someone's, what's his name? Chris Ryder was working there. Yeah. Both of you guys are bass players in reggae bands. And uh, the thing with playing bass in a reggae band is you got to really, you got to feel it. And if you're not feeling it, you, you don't get the gig, right? Like, it's a real soul kind of gig, right? And, and you can't fake it. And so oh, yeah, I think it drives the music for sure. It drives the music. Still, and, still love I just think, remember you back working with you, you know, uh, you're so far ahead of, you know, technology and, and music. I remember it being something, you know, that I aspired to when I was working with you. And um, it looks like uh, it looks like more it looks like technology is more of what you're more interested in throughout your life that drove you forward. And music sort of came along behind it. Well, um, yeah, that's interesting. You, you know, I, I, um, I've, I've always felt like kind of an outsider, like in, oh gosh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago or so, um, I started to wonder if, if maybe I've lived my life on the autism spectrum. And, um, I so do. I, I, yeah, so I, I, I went to see a therapist. I, I saw him a bunch of times and, and, you know, I didn't go for an official diagnosis because, you know, I'm able to work. I don't need a disability pension or anything like that. But um, I, I had several sessions with a, with a really good therapist in Toronto. And he said, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, he said, you've been masking quite a lot all of your life. And uh, so, you know, that 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 really interested me but i think you know it it we talk about neurodiversity and and you know people people on the spectrum are are neuro, neurodiverse and people who aren't on the spectrum are neuro neurotypical so th those are kind of the two adjectives right so i think you know one one bit with that diversity is i i I relate to music and 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 to lyrics as well differently from uh, the way most people do, or at least it seems to me. Like you know, I uh, I'm I'm not the only one, but I'm sure that you know I I can I can relate. Like song lyrics are poetry essentially, and and you know poets and 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 lyricists talk about the human experience, and uh, that's. You know, it, it's it's basically as simple as that. It's like you know, you can you 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 have things that happen in your life, and and 
a song lyric comes to mind and oh hey that's what he was talking about you know um so m music's always been an influence absolutely and and you know the the technology i think you know that's what drew me to the aes was just you know a, a thirst for knowledge and and uh you know being able to uh to find out new things and and to try to stay on top of uh of technology and how rapidly it evolves i mean you know i my the first records i ever saw were were 78 rpm you know 10 inch 10 inch discs i guess and then came the 45s and the 33s and then came the cassette tape and the eight track tape and the compact disc and and you know streaming audio and and uh you know it, that that the technology of how we listen to music has has really evolved and now we've got immersive and we've got uh high resolution and and uh you know i've got this beautiful benchmark DAC sitting on my my desk here and and plug my headphones into that and it's just it's just glory you know i might listen to stuff that was recorded in the 1950s or or the 1960s but it it's it sounds it sounds better than it did when people were listening to it back then. It was recorded very well, and and you know stuff really stands up. You know, I've got uh, 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 an SACD of of Sonny Rollins that was recorded in '55 or '56, and you know probably just two microphones, right? And and just just sounds gorgeous and fantastic. It's like you know you're in the room. Just put the headphones on, close my eyes, and and uh, get carried away. So that's sort of the, we've got two minutes left, but that sounds like sort of the intersection for you. That was sort of the nugget that we we're looking for. So thank you. I got, we got that now. Um, can you just, before we head out, can you talk a bit about Billy Kell? He was actually kind of popular from his area for his time. Well, Billy and I went to uh, went to public school together. Uh, he was there. Uh, he was about a year older than me. And and when I started first grade, because it was a one room school out in the country, and uh, we didn't have any kindergartens. So when I started first grade, he was probably in second. So I, I knew Billy for a long, long time. And um, when I basically came off the road, when my dad was killed in in uh, nineteen eighty um in a in a collision between his car and a train um so i came off the road and uh started playing with billy and and his brother and sister jimmy and pat and uh we ended up touring we played oh gosh seven or eight provinces and and uh did an album uh an indie an indie release and i've, I've still got copies of that and uh yeah yeah um billy was real popular we we were really big at the blue moon we used to do the blue moon oh, the blue moon Peter is just Peterburg, yeah yeah on a regular basis mm -hmm. <laughs> okay um i think we captured uh the basic essence of what we wanted to do today um well, it sounds like to me it sounds like the technology is really important in music and by vice versa for you you know just by listening and being part of it, gathering gathering information from the radios, you know, doing it as a job and sort of, you know, being the autistic spectrum and gathering it all together into into what you are today. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I was, would say so. Uh, 
Okay, so that wraps up Ross Whitney. Interesting introspective on his life going back and, um, you know, realizing he's a bit on the aut autistic spectrum, but learning that he connected dots that had a deeper connection to music and with his technology, you know, being throughout his life, he really put the two together and and really probably in many ways celebrating a really great life and still is. I'm going to assume he went started high school in 65. So Ross would be in his seventies and he's still working and, um, it's really inspirational. So thank you, Ross. And that wraps up episode 27, Ross Whitney.